Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. These are the interviews that were conducted this week. I'll put together for you in a nice little package that you can listen to in audio form. That's why we love podcasting, because, you know, you're going for your walk, you're going for a drive, we're here for you. And we've got lots of great interviews to get to this week, including both main eventers from this weekend's card. You've got TJ Dillashaw returning to action after two and a half years away. Great to catch up with TJ Dillashaw. Always intense, always, uh, you know, in, in a competitive mode, and he certainly was for this interview. Uh, I tried not to talk too much about, you know, his whole suspension and all of that. I know he's addressed that quite a bit already, but I, I talked about the time away from the cage and what that meant to him and what he was able to do during that time. Uh, I would recommend that if you want to hear uh, his story in full, the UFC Chronicles on the UFC Fight Pass was tremendous. Uh, it was about 25 minutes, well worth your time if you want to uh, learn more about TJ Dillashaw and what makes that man tick. But what will make him tick on Saturday night is his opponent, Corey Sanhagen, former training partner, this is the first time that Corey Sandhagen has stepped in the cage with somebody who he had met before, that he had trained with before, anything along those lines. He, he mentioned that to me in, in this interview, a little bit of a spoiler alert there, but uh, I uh, enjoy speaking with Corey Sandhagen. I, I always love uh, picking his brain. He's just one of the more cerebral guys in the sport. Uh, certainly uh, a big name, an up-and-coming name in the bantamweight division, and, and I've said uh, for a long time that I believe he is going to be a future champion one day. Whether or not this is his time, his time will come. I think that he's uh, just a phenomenal striker. Uh, great grappler and uh, somebody who continues to rise in their career. We also have Macy Barber on the show. Macy on a two-fight losing streak. It's weird to say, considering her goal was to become the youngest champion in UFC history, and she seems so driven, uh, a huge prospect that uh, has had a bit of a tough go in recent years, and she looks to turn it around against Miranda Maverick this weekend. And also joining us uh, after uh, another fighter that uh, didn't have that much cage time in recent years due to an injury is Aspen Ladd. And Aspen Ladd is in the co-main event of the evening. She's got her hands full with Macy Chase on. She will join us as well. Uh, just uh, to flag this with you in advance, the, uh, there's a bit of audio, uh, a bit of an audio issue with this interview with Macy. So uh, bear with me, in, or not, sorry, not with Macy, uh, with uh, Aspen Ladd. So bear with me. You know, you'll, you'll hear some audio hiccups, but I'm sure you'll still get the gist of the interview. I appreciate you tuning in. Here are our interviews with TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen, Macy Barber, and Aspen Ladd on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. Tyler Jeffrey Dillashaw is back in action for the first time in two and a half years, coming off of a suspension. But uh, we're going to look forward, not backward. I think that uh, the way that you responded to everything that happened was perfect. I think we can put that behind us and talk about this upcoming belt with Corey Sanhagen, the main event. Now, Corey told me earlier this week he has never fought anybody that he had met prior to, to, to facing them, let alone trained with. Is it good that your first fight back is with someone who you're familiar with, who you felt already, and, and you kind of know what to expect? I think it's an advantage to me. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a good or a bad thing, right? Because like, I like Corey. Um, I was rooting for Corey when he got into the UFC. I was a big advocate for wanting to get him in the UFC because I liked who he was as a person. He was a great, uh, great training partner. He was athletic and gifted. So I was, you know, I was always pumping his name up before he was even in the UFC. Um, so it's not so much like, I guess, a good or a bad thing. I mean, other than the fact that I think it works out to my benefit to know who he is as a, as a fighter. And you've had a good experience uh, fighting guys that you've trained with before. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the point of being well-rounded because you can, you can game plan for guys like that. Now, watch the uh, great UFC Chronicles uh, piece that was done on you uh, yesterday. At the time that everything was going down, was there ever a moment where you're like, I've got to chill out a little bit. I've got to step back from, from competition and being so competitive all the time because it seemed like it was getting to a point where it was almost driving you crazy. So step back from what? Like from when? Just from being in it, for, from being so uh, driven at that, at that moment, it seemed like the, your drive to succeed and your passion for, for the sport was getting to a point of almost uh, just being over the top. Yeah. Um, I, to be honest, when I'm not in fight camp, I'm, I mean, even when I am in fight camp, I don't watch fights. I don't. When I'm at the gym, because I'm at the gym training all day long, I'm thinking about my fight. I get home. The last thing I want to do is watch fights or think about fighting. So I try to do family time stuff or business and things like that. So 
Um, this suspension was actually kind of nice because I did get to step back and I got to focus on setting up my businesses and being a father. And uh, it was a true, I've never choose to do this, but it was a true blessing in disguise. I wouldn't say I felt that way the first six months. The first six months I wanted to, uh, you know, drink myself away and not think about anything. But um, after that, it was like dealing with it and just uh, being a father. So it's almost like hitting the reset button because at, at that yeah. time you were looking to become a three division champion and you were you were right in, you were right in the fire in terms of of becoming one of the all time greats. But I feel like it really consumed you at that time from watching again from watching the uh, the fight pass uh, feature that they did. A hundred percent, man. It definitely did. You know, um, I don't do anything half ass, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's the the business I'm running or me being a professional fighter. This, this is a job. You know, like. I think people forget that this is a, a job. I do this for a living um, and I'm going to do everything, you know, everything from my nutrition, my supplementation, my training regimen. Um, and I'm, I'm a smart guy. I'm not a guy that's going to, I mean, I went to school in kinesiology for clinical exercise science. I know how the body works. I've learned a lot from my strength conditioning coach. Like I'm going to do, I mean, I got my nano V over here for recovery. I'm doing altitude simulation. I'm sitting in a hyperbaric chamber. I got red light recovery. I mean, I have, all the coaches all over the world that I'm paying that are the best in the world, like, I'm going to do what it takes to be the best, and I'm going to try my hardest all the time. So after getting uh, shoulder surgery, the first shoulder, um, what was that like in terms of channeling your competitive juices? What, what did you do in order to, to feel that way? Or was it better to just kind of not think about being competitive at anything for a while? No, that'll never happen. That's just who I am as a person, right? My parents have raised me that way. I grew up with two brothers. I'm the middle child, so being competitive is in me genetically, right? Like I don't care if we're driving to the grocery store, we're gonna, you know, or we was like my parents would be driving and we'd race each other or, you know, we're playing board, no matter what we're doing, we're always competing against each other. So that's always gonna be that way. Uh, my mom used to tell the story where my little brother would always beat me at basketball because I sucked at basketball, but she'd look out the window and I'd be out in the front yard with a guillotine on it, like lifting him in the air because he's like, beat my ass in basketball you know but it didn't matter i was gonna win somehow you know um that'll always be in my my gene is, is competition um but the shoulder surgery so i knew before it got announced so i got in trouble it was gonna be announced soon as soon as i got in trouble i scheduled my uh shoulder surgery because i've been needing shoulder surgery for maybe the last three years of my fighting career both my garbrandt fight and my pseudo fights i needed double shoulder surgery actually um but i didn't have the time to do it you get shoulder surgery, you're out for a year. And so as soon as I knew I was in trouble, I was suspended. I scheduled shoulder surgery. When it got announced to the world, I already had my first surgery done. I was in a sling and I came out and admitted. I was, I was in a sling and I was on a bunch of uh, pain pills of the day that I announced what happened. So um, I just knew that because I, I was going to be coming back, that I wanted to be healthy and so get my shoulders fixed now that I had the time. What was your favorite thing that you did in that two and a half years? that you wouldn't have been able to do had you just been continuing to fight, uh, whether it be a moment with your family or, or a, a hobby you took up, anything along those lines? Uh, definitely the moments with my family, you know, um, too many to count. I mean, they're just all around being a father, right? Like I knew I always wanted to be a father. Um, but now that, now that it's been here, it's been even better than I expected, you know? So, uh, I told other people I wish I could have a lot more kids, you know, but obviously too bad I waited waited too long to start because <laughs> now I'm old. How's Bronson doing? What are some of his interests? Um, he's doing amazing. He's three and a half years old, so he's a ton of fun. His interests, some of his interests are beating me up. He loves to wrestle with me. Um, he's a fanatic with swimming right now. We got him in swim lessons. He's a great swimmer. Um, he's obsessed with balls like basketballs baseballs i think he's gonna be a little baseball player i mean i told me he's gonna be little though you know me and my wife aren't, aren't very big so uh, hope, hopefully he'll start growing i just want i told him just be taller than dad that's all that matters right um shoot the listener i mean he's he loves his, his cat too much he won't leave the cat alone uh we, we have to separate them all the time but uh it's been good yeah, so these are the kind of things, you, again, you get to do when, I guess, you're not right in competition. You get to really enjoy uh, him and his interests as opposed to having another thing on your mind at that time. Yeah, the first year of his life, I was title fight after title fight. It was really hard to focus on uh, the things I wanted to or the things that I wasn't, I didn't know that I wanted to. I mean, obviously, I knew I did, but when I was absorbed in a fight camp, like I told you, I don't take any like shortcuts. I'm going to 
I'm going to do everything possible to be the best, my best self. And so when I'm so focused in a fight, I'm not focused on what's right in front of me. And so, yeah, I got to, got to seal things firsthand and I'll never get to trade that back. So um, a true blessing. How do you rank these guys from one to three? Corey Sanhagen, Piotr Jan, and Aljamain Sterling. Hmm. Before you answer, how, how about as matchups for you and then as fighters overall? I think it's the same way. I think uh, I think this is a real title fight between me and Corey, and then we go Peter Yarn and then Aljamain Sterling. What impresses you about Corey? Obviously, you saw him when he was just getting started out in the UFC, kind of his embryonic stage of his career. Uh, you haven't trained with him in, what, four years, but he's changed a lot as a fighter. What do you think he's improved the most at? I don't think he has changed as much as a fighter. I think he's just changed with his confidence a little bit. Um, he's the same fighter. He's the same guy. He does the same things. He's got the same good and bad habits. Um, he's just a good athlete, you know. He's uh, been trained in martial arts for a long time. I know he had like a basketball background before he started doing kickboxing, and uh, he got really good at it, you know. Um, he just impressed with uh, his his all around, I guess, skill. Have you seen him at all this week in person? No, I haven't. Yeah, he was he was curious how that interaction was go would go. I heard an interview with him, and he was he was wondering what it would be like, you know, because yes, someone he, actually, one of my teammates actually brought up the fact that he said that I'm a hostile person, that if he sees me run the apex center or run the, we're gonna have to like fight. It's like, when have I ever been that kind of guy? I've never felt like <laughs> I've never like had any kind of in front confrontation with anyone where I'm gonna be fighting someone. So I think he's just trying to pump himself up a little bit. I don't, I don't really, I didn't really understand it. Not, I think he would admit to my, that. I think he would not, admit not my, that he's trying to pump himself up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You do kind of have two modes, though, right? I, I, you know, whenever I've interacted with you, you're always very laid back and calm. But once you once you hit that switch, um, you become well, kind of you a, don't you don't have gloves on. You're not in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> if you were in practice or in the cage with me, then I'm probably not a nice guy. You know, um, I'm probably very intense and going harder than you probably want to go. And if you can't hang, get the fuck out the room. Have you always been an intense person? I know you trained with Brian Ortega, who's one of the more intense people that I've met, but is that always the way you've been? Yeah, I've always been that way. Always, I mean, like I said, I grew up with two brothers and a very competitive family. Uh, always been very intense when it comes to competition. And it's funny too, you talk about Ortega being intense, but like, he's the most laid back, cool dude I've, I've hung out with training wise. Like, he's an easy going guy. He's a great training partner. The way he explains it to me is that he makes eye contact for too long. That's, that's what Brian Ortega says. He says people have always told him he makes too much eye contact, and that's where his intensity comes from. <laughs> All right. Cool. <laughs> you've built a great little camp there with, with yourself. You've got Juan Archuleta, Brian Ortega, Aaron Pico. Um, what's it like training with that, that caliber of fighter day in and day out? I guess there's just no days off. Yeah, Pico is now out in Jackson's. He's been there for some time now, but when I first came to Southern California, he was uh, down here. Um, that kid is a straight-up animal. Um, his work ethic is second to none. He's Him and Juan Archuleta are the only guys I've ever met to work as hard as I do. Um, and Aaron Pico's got the practice mentality that I have as well to where when I first came down there, he was a big dude. Uh, we went hard. Um, but he's now in Jackson's now. He's doing really good. I'm happy for him. Uh, Juan Archuleta, again, another hardworking guy. Brian Ortega, very slick and, and uh, great at what he does. So, yeah, I mean, you got to surround yourself with guys that are going to push you. If, if you're not, then you're in the wrong spot. Well, it's the first step towards the Bantamweight Championship and recapturing it. It's this weekend yourself versus Corey Sanhagen in the main event. Always appreciate your time, TJ, and uh, looking forward to seeing you compete once again this weekend. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. We are joined by Corey Sandhagen, who will be facing TJ Dillashaw this weekend at UFC Fight Night. The two of you used to train together. When was the last time you were in a room with TJ Dillashaw? I think it was um, when we both fought New York, when he fought Cejudo, and I fought uh, uh, Batista that night. I think that was the last time we were in the room, and I think probably the last time that we spoke. What did you guys say to each other that day? Was it just like, you know, go out there, do your thing sort of thing, small talk? Uh, a little bit of small talk. Uh, I just saw him at weigh-ins, and that's really, it was like, hey, Good luck. Okay, good luck to you, too. Uh, it was just small talk. Beyond being training partners, were you guys ever friends of any sort? Do you guys go out to dinners or anything along those lines when you were training? Or was you, were you guys just another body for one another to, uh, to work with? 
Uh, we're we're friendly training partners, I would say. I, I don't have any animosity or any negative feelings towards TJ or anything. Um, uh, we definitely, you know, didn't go out and hang out together. We didn't really, you know, have that type of relationship. But uh, we're friendly. Who's the person that you were closest with that you fought previously? Mm, I don't think I've ever known any of my opponents. All right, interesting. So a little bit of a different uh, dynamic, although it has been some time since the two of you uh, have seen each other. Uh, do you worry at all that you'll feel like you're in training with him when you're in the cage with him, or do you, do you know you can switch it on and just think of him as, as another opponent when you're in there with him? No, no, no. With, with TJ, I, I don't feel like it will feel like training. I, I think that that guy brings a level of intensity uh, that will make it feel real, and I think that I and capable of bringing in a level of intensity that is very real too. So it, it, it won't feel like that. Now, Curtis Blades did an interview with James Lynch. And I've heard this many times over the years that when you guys did train together, you frustrated him a lot. You, he, you were very early in your UFC career. He was the champion. Do you have any of that in your back pocket? Does that knowledge help you going into this, that you had a, you know, some success against him when he was at, in his prime and you were still coming up in the sport? Uh, not really. Um, I, I think uh, I'd kind of be a little bit silly to think that um, – I was just going to, you know, that this thing is going to be a walk in the park. I certainly don't think that. And I would definitely not think it was a walk in the park, even if I was kicking his ass every single day, which um, which wasn't the case. It was, you know, he had his good days. I had my good days. And uh, and, and that's how it was. And uh, I but I but I know how good TJ is and, um, and, and I'm fully prepared for that. Do you have a strategy going into this fight? And the reason why I ask that in such a generic way is he's been out of the cage for two and a half years. You have to imagine his game has changed over that course of time. Do you just hope to be the best Corey Sanhagen and go with the flow? Or do you have a set strategy that you are looking to stick to? Um, I'm very focused on my game more than I am focused on his. Uh, I think that I've done a really good job of making my game more of a circle, making my game uh, a type of game that is um, very hard to stop. And that's kind of on the offensive end on the defensive end i think i've done a very good job of being able to keep fights where i want to be able to keep fights and um and uh that's what i've been working on is is a lot of working on myself and, and tj's there and tj can try to do what tj is going to try to do um and i'm going to stick to the game that i have and that i've developed and that i'm very confident in i'm almost certain it was you who mentioned this to me once upon a time that you have been in a room, I guess, during weigh-ins when every, all the fighters on the card are in the room, and you could tell who's kind of happy to be there, just happy to be in the UFC, and then the people that were, like, really hungry. What do you think is, like, one of the traits that sets champions apart from challengers or people that don't get into the rankings? What's the one intangible that you think every champion has? Uh, I think, honestly, it's probably going to be different for everyone, but I think the most important thing walking into a fight is you have to have the will to win. Um you have to have more of a will to win than the other person. I think you can have all the technical skill in the world. You could be in the best shape of your life. But if you don't care enough uh, to do anything in order to, to, in order to take away with that win, um, you're, you know, you're, you're going to get eaten alive. So I think you have to have the, the will to win is, is number one. What would you say the, the most important lesson you've learned so far has been since, I guess, entering the top 10 of the bantamweight division and being at that really high level? Is there anything you've taken away that you hadn't, I guess, gained earlier in your career? Um, I've definitely learned a lot of lessons throughout the years. I don't know that I can really put my finger on anything. I, I suppose recently what's been happening in my life as I kind of climb up ranks is that... Um, I'm putting a lot more energy into uh, into my game, and uh, I don't have a lot of room for other things in my life. I, I don't really care too much about, you know, the the other things that life involves. <laughs> uh, I, I care about getting better in the gym. I, I don't really care about having. I don't care about any of that stuff. I, I kind of really care about winning fights now and, and proving that I'm the best in the world, and that's where all of my energy goes. So in your time outside of the gym, obviously you're not working out for 14, 15 hours a day. What are you doing uh, outside of the gym that's helping make your game better, in your opinion? Uh, resting. <laughs> and uh, so I watch like a lot of TV. Honestly, I watch a decent amount of trash television with my girlfriend. Uh, to kind of escape from maybe the brutalness that, that is my life. 
Um, but but I'll watch some trash television. Like I'm really big on the trashy dating shows. I love those. And then um, I'll do that, and I'll do a lot of like meditating and a lot of visualization stuff because your body can only do so much in a week. So I'll make sure that I'm getting better in my head. Also, uh, I make a lot of notes throughout the week of things that I'm working on, what worked, what I need to get better at, um, the practices that I run, what what we're doing in those practices, and uh, j- just. Things like that, man. I, I, you know, whenever the UFC comes and follows me around and we do embedded and all of the destins and all of that stuff, it's like I don't really do anything other than, other than this. Uh, this is really it. Is Wife Swap still on TV? That was like one of the shows I used to watch to escape. Wife Swap. Is, is that one still on? I think it is. I'm not. I think it was on TLC though. I'm not a big TLC guy. I'm like a. Uh, I like the trashy MTV shows, you know, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette ones. I like that kind of trashy television. So, like, not as low as maybe some of these TLC hold shows. On, don't, hold on, don't don't TLC me. That was a network show. That was on like ABC or something. Don't don't uh, put me in that in that crowd. Uh, I like I like a trashy TV show with some really high quality production. That has good production too. White. It was like this Mormon will be switching spots with a biker, who and they will be living. I just loved watching the sociological experiment of uh, of watching those uh, those families kind of switch spots. Yeah, it is interesting. It would be like watching a swim instructor like change spots with you. It's like Corey Sandhagen will be <laughs> swim lessons while the swimming teacher will be doing mixed martial arts. Oh man, I'm a terrible swimmer. So that sounds awful. I was going to say, is swimming part of your, your training at all? A lot of people use uh, underwater training. Uh, of some, I think TJ actually is somebody who does a lot of that uh, that underwater training. Nah, I'm a god-awful swimmer. Um, nah, most of my training is done uh, in the gym, like practices and stuff. Who are some of your key training partners for this camp? I was uh, on, I guess I was doing my podcast earlier today, and I mentioned that TJ is working with a great set of guys, Aaron Pico, Cub Swanson, uh, Juan Archuleta. And was curious who you uh, were working with uh, over the course of this camp. Yeah, um, Carrington Banks, um, who's also my who who's also in my corner. Um, Austin Hubbard, uh, Justin Wetzel, this kid Elias Rodriguez helps me a lot. Uh, uh, a guy Muhammad who just started training with us. So um, a guy named Evan Dondo. I have a lot of good guys on our team, man. Not not of them. Not a lot of them have like the same name as you know a lot of these other guys, but if you walk into any any training room uh, in the world, you'll kind of see that some of these amateurs and uh, professionals that don't have a lot of fights are some of the best guys in the gym. And uh, and uh, I think that our team has a lot of guys that that are, that are exactly like that. Well, you were once one of those guys. Anybody coming up was once one of those guys, right? So there's always going to be people that are going to be the next Corey Sandhagen. Exactly. We're not kicking you out just yet. You're still 29, so I mean, you, we still have a lot of time for the next Corey Sanhagen. Uh, one last thing I want to ask you about: uh, I saw your interview with Brett Okamoto, where you talked about how you want, or sorry, you you want everybody to think that you're the best in the world. You don't you want to leave all questions um, answered in terms of your your all around game, and they, they, you don't want people to think you're not a good wrestler or anything along those lines. But is it better to almost have people underestimate you because you can you can use that as fuel? Because if everybody thinks Corey Sanhagen is the bee's knees and is the best fighter in the whole world, uh, do, do you lose some of that hunger because you're like, yeah, I'm the best. Nobody's going to be as, as good as me as, as, as this. That, that's what everybody thinks. Yeah, perhaps. I'm not really, um, I'm not really sure because I haven't accomplished really my main goal in this sport yet. So uh, I'm not sure really what happens to the mind when you've accomplished a lot of your dreams or, or if you can call yourself that or whatever. But um, I know that me setting my ambition so high just means that I need to work even harder um, and, and I need to learn more and more. And, uh, and I feel like I need, for me in the martial arts journey, a lot of this is me becoming the best version of myself. And uh, I don't think that I can do that with, with low ambition. So even if it, even if it did mean that everyone knew that I was the best in the world, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I still think that I would just try to find something else to chase. There are very few champions uh, under the age of 30 right now in the UFC. What age do you think an athlete is in their prime, in your opinion? Yeah, I don't know. That's a difficult question because, uh, yeah, that's a very difficult question. Um, I know some beasts that are a lot younger, and I know some beasts that are a lot older. So, uh, I don't know. That's a really great question. Um, I have no idea. 
Well, you'll be facing one of those beasts that's a lot older than you. Six years uh, difference between yourself and TJ Dillashaw in the main event this weekend at UFC Fight Night. Uh, always enjoy speaking with you, Corey. Uh, best of luck against TJ this weekend. Yeah, thanks a lot, Aaron. I'm now joined by Macy Barber, who will be facing Miranda Maverick this coming weekend. And usually you're pretty active with interviews leading up to a fight, but I, I couldn't find any interviews with you from the past, I guess, five months. What, what's with uh, Macy Barber going into hiding? I've been working. Um, I I know I thought about that too. I'm like, man, I haven't done a lot of interviews, but at the same time, you know, I tried to save the spots for like, you know, the, the bigger the bigger networks, just you know, for when they needed the the content. But honestly, I've been working. I haven't even been posting on social media a lot. Um, this fight is huge for me, you know. So it's been a lot of focus and a lot of like focusing on myself, um, which I know, you know, in interviews, it's like a huge platform for us to become, you know, more relevant, stay in people's faces and, and give the fans what they want to see. But um, I hope that every fan can know and appreciate the fact that I had to take a little bit of time, like away, not necessarily on purpose to like be distant from them, but to to focus on becoming a better athlete and better fighter myself. I certainly don't resent you for it or anything. I just noticed that you used to be very <laughs> active and lately you've been yes. taking a little bit of a step back. I just had to get back to <laughs> to the old me, you know. I got my I got the little chip on my shoulder back and I'm ready to do some interviews. Let's go. Of the old you and you're at a new camp at Team Alpha Male. What, what made you yes. decide to move? I guess they're Team Alpha MMA now. And I don't want to say Team Alpha Male when they have female fighters training there. I don't know if they changed the name. But uh, what was the impetus of this move? Yeah, we got some Team Alpha females now. Um, there's a, there's only a couple of us, though, you know, but I'm excited to have there have a, a couple of girls there. Um, but the move, honestly, was very sudden. Um, I just decided, you know, after spending some time training out there that it was the place to be because of the, the mentality, the dedication, the professionalism, the organization, um, the people, the training partners, um, just overall, like, I feel like it's something I've been to a lot of gyms um, and I, it was, it was just something that like clicks, you know, like where you feel like um, when you walk in the gym, the energy is good. The training is good. And like the whole main focus is we're trying to be great, you know? Um, and there's not a whole lot of other conversations within the gym. And so that's something that like, I definitely crave when I go in the gym, it's like, I'm trying to not focus on anything outside. It's it's strictly training and um, getting better and improving. And I found that there. And um, the weather in California is beautiful, so that's a that's a plus. Um, but overall, you know, it's just a it's just a great place to be for me. You have been somewhat nomadic in your career, as you mentioned. You've been going kind of to different gyms over the last couple of years. Do you feel like this is a place where you're you're here to stay? This is the gym that you're most comfortable in, or are you still open to perhaps training in other facilities down the line? Um, I'm always open to like traveling and, and checking out other places. But like I said, I've been to a lot of places, and uh, I just signed a 12 month lease, so I'm definitely there for a while. Uh, there's there's a bunch of um, different styles, different minds. You know, you got Joey, you got Uriah, you got Chris, you got Danny, like. There's so many different, and there's and there's others. You know, there's the strength and conditioning with Darren and uh, Amadeo, and then there's um, Malat is the I think he Muay Thai, and then you got Slava's kickboxing. So there's a, t a bunch of different um, styles and areas specific that you can improve on, and they're all at the highest level. So um, it's kind of like a place where there's not going to be a, a lot of holes. You know, there's a lot of gyms I've been to where you have one great thing, but it's missing a lot of other things. It's not completely missing, but they're just not at the highest level. And so I feel like Team Alpha Male right now is a place where you can go and you have the striking, you have the grappling, you have the wrestling, you have the strength and conditioning, you have uh, everything in one place, and it's all at a high level. And they make sure that it's it's at that level. And so um, – I feel like as a fighter and as an athlete, you know, trying to become the best, it's it's a good, really good place to be. Um, so I do see myself traveling because I like to travel, but uh, I think when I travel now, it'll be, you know, go train somewhere, enjoy the place, come back home. You know, I, I feel like I really needed a place to become home. Um, and I feel like this is, California is the place for me. Is it kind of weird that there's a, this is a TJ Dillashaw headline card, given the history between Team Alpha Male and, uh, and TJ? 
Honestly, no, because I'm, you know, I'm focused on myself and I'm focused on my own fight. Um, I know that they have their own stuff, but everybody's pretty good at, you know, being in the same room or being in, um, in the same vicinity, you know, uh, I haven't sensed anything bad. You know, we were just at, at Whole Foods and there's no issues, you know, they say hi, uh, TJ obviously wasn't there, but like, uh, Dwayne and, and, um, Juan, like they could say hi to the coaches, you know, it's not any issue. So I haven't sensed anything and that's cool, you know, to see that, um, they are professionals and they're, and they're good at, they're good at showing that and carrying that level of, um, professionalism everywhere. I mean, it's been years, right? So I imagine that as yes. time goes on, it, it will heal those wounds. Uh, and like I said, I don't, I don't know their drama, you know, like obviously from like a fan perspective, you see it on TV, but it could be one way. It could be another way. You know, it's like, I don't know what it's like. So I said hi to everybody and I like, I don't have any issue with anyone. So, um, yeah, it's not weird. It's not hard to be around. It's, it's just fine. Looking at this fight against Miranda Maverick, this is a very interesting one. It reminds me of another fight on this card, which is uh, between Randy Costa and Adrian Yanez. It's just putting two really high-level prospects against one another, and it's a sink-or-swim situation. Is that how you feel going into this? Uh, I don't, because I'm the one that's going to swim. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was. I, th- I feel like a couple of people were, were pretty surprised about the fact that they're pairing us up together, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, she's number 13 right now, I'm number 14, but she's just holding my spot. Um, I definitely came back, you know, I, I was, I left, I, I, I'm coming back and I'm taking my spot and I want to keep moving up. Um, she's just in the way. You've said in some interviews um, that I saw one interview that you did. It was with Chris Lytle. It was K-side in a, at an event. So this is this is all I have to go off of uh, from you. Ah, but this that's is right. you feel like the loss to um, your last loss to Alexa Grasso was your first loss uh, as a professional. So walk me through that fight and where you think you could have done better and what do you think went wrong, either leading up to the fight or during the fight. Absolutely. So I definitely feel like my last loss was the only like true loss that I had. Um, as a fighter, you know, like you can't help, you know, the, the loss before that, you can't really help your situation. And, and when we sign on the line to go out and fight, anything can happen. And unfortunately I suffered a pretty serious injury that, that, you know, in, uh, it, it kind of messed with me as a fighter, you know, like how, how I would perform, how I would go technically, you know, like all that stuff, how you move, you have to learn how to, um, overcome and adapt. And so I feel like I, for the situation that I was in, I was able to overcome and adapt and show the fighter that I was that day. Um, for my last loss, though, with uh, Alexa, I feel like that whole camp was not, it just wasn't me, you know. Um, I like to enjoy my time. I like to enjoy the gym. I love training. I love learning and growing and just martial arts as a whole. Uh, and that's why I started this sport, you know, because I fell in love with the fact that you can go in the gym and there's absolutely nothing happening that is outside your life that carries into the into the gym. And so for me, I allowed my last camp, I allowed everything that was in my outside life to go into the gym with me. And that's something that made me like very miserable and not want to be in the gym. So I feel like when I was at the gym, I was definitely not mentally present in any of the practices. Um and there's just a lot of like, I feel like a lot of questions, you know, aside from that, you know, I would try to try to cover it up, try to act like it wasn't there. Um, and I felt a little bit of doubt from coaches and, and just not a, not a sense of like, you know, it doesn't matter what happens um, in here. You could never train, you know, we're going to go out there and beat this girl up. Um, I definitely felt like they questioned themselves um, and questioned, you know, our preparation. And, and I definitely saw it, you know, it was a lot on me um for you know allowing that to carry over and so mentally i just was not the person i i am and i know i am you know um that was not the person walking in the gym that that knew that they were going to be the best in the world that was not the person walking in the gym thinking you know i'm going in here to get better so i can beat this girl's face in um and so this camp you know i feel like i am back to me i'm back to the girl that uh, just like my dad was just telling me, you know, that went out and finished JJ Aldrich when she's never been finished. I was the girl that finished Jillian Robertson in the first round. I went out and made my debut against Hannah Cyphers and I bloodied her face. Um, and so I am that girl that walked in and I was eight and oh, and I was undefeated. 
that I suffered an injury and I, and I had to come back from that. And I've learned so much, but I am just so ready to go back and show that I'm back to that fighter. That's eight and oh, you know, that's, that's, um, just more mature and just more hungry. Um, and I'm ready to go and show that on Saturday. What was going on that was making it hard for you to train in Chicago? I think just a lot of different life stuff, you know, uh, as a fighter, you know, I feel like, um, for myself anyways, this has been a super fast track. And so a lot of things, you know, a lot of little hurdles that come up, um, I like to bury stuff, you know, like I like to just like, okay, that's an issue. We'll just like throw it to the side. I got to go to the gym, you know? And so over time as things keep piling up and piling up and piling up, eventually you can't, you can't keep shoving them away because they're going to come and carry over. And so I feel like I allowed that to, to keep building up and carry over. And, um, I feel like, uh, for me, that just all of the little things that, that built up over time, um, I could have dealt with a little bit better and, so I, I decided to do that more recently. <laughs> Have you gone to a psychologist or anything along those lines or a sports psychologist to kind of work through these kind of things? Um, the person that I've been talking to, actually two people, is Eric Thomas and Sherry Riley. They're really big names. They've helped me so much. Um, you know, Eric Thomas, when I first started talking to them, I, you know, I, I filled them in on everything from like the beginning of my life to the end of my life to like now. Um, and there was a couple points, you know, where they like, they kick you in the butt and they're like, what are you thinking right now? Like, like this, this as a professional athlete does not matter. Like you are sitting here worried about something else that is not helping you get better in the gym. It's not helping you become better as an athlete or a fighter or any of that. And so they helped me really like kind of, uh, put things in perspective and, uh, find a peace within, within myself and learn how to like, okay, this is important. This is not important. This is something that you are in control of that you can, you can make better, but then this is something that is completely out of your control and you're worrying about it. Or you're thinking about it. And so why are you thinking about something that is out of your control? Um, it's just something that, that you don't need to even think about. Um, and so they help me really realize and recognize those things. And, uh, like I said, find the peace, you know, and just remember that when I walk in the gym, the only thing that matters is I'm getting better. I'm, I'm, I'm going to win this fight. I'm a professional. I am amazing. You know, like all these things like positive reinforcements, um, and just learning how to stay present in the gym. So, I mean, they've helped me so much. Um, and obviously it's, it's a lot of work that I've done on my own personal side, but, um, they're, they're definitely helped me a ton. Another great prospect who's uh, nearing title contention in Sacramento is Aspen Ladd, and she's coming back from a similar injury than the one you sustained against uh, Roxanne Modafferi. Have you had a chance to speak mm -hmm. with her about that, about what it's like to come back from that sort of injury? I have not actually talked with her, but there's several girls and guys, actually, that, that have suffered similar injuries. You know, um, obviously, Jesse Jess, uh, Aspen, uh, Josh Emmett. Like, we are all in a, a similar situation. You know, we are coming back from some some pretty substantial injuries and all with our knees. So um, I definitely like to pick everybody else's brain, see what they're, how they're recovering, see what they've done. Um, and then also because I am a, a couple months, um, some of them, it's like, I know exactly what they're thinking when they're uh, talking about things that they're going through. And I was like, yep, I remember that. Like it was just last week that, you know, this happened. And um, so I feel like as a whole, like I can understand where she is, but I have not talked to her yet in uh I'm excited to see her go out and perform. Well, Macy, we're looking forward to seeing you compete against Miranda Maverick this weekend. Don't be a stranger after this fight. We, you know, we, we like hearing from you. <laughs> so, uh, after this win, you mean? What's that? After this win, you After this win, yeah. I, don't, I didn't say, yeah, I said well, after this fight. After this <laughs> I win. I, I don't want to put any negative juju out into space. So after this yeah. win against Miranda Maverick, sure. you'll, you'll take her ranking that she's been keeping warm for you, and then we'll, we'll talk. Thanks exactly. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> After about two years away from the Octagon, Aspen Ladd returns to the cage this weekend at UFC Fight Night, taking on Macy Chason, a fantastic prospect in her own right. Uh, so a lot of time away from the cage. I watched your documentary that you did with Andrew Faraday. Fantastic work. If nobody has checked that out yet, uh, you should go to YouTube and uh, look up Aspen Ladd. Uh, seems like this recovery was a bit of a long road. I know that you're somebody who doesn't like to be told what to do. <laughs> what was it like the day after surgery when you aren't able to do the things that you're accustomed to doing? 
Oh, the day after surgery was terrible. In the first week, I felt like my leg was on fire. So it went from before surgery to like, okay, I'm going to be back the second that I can, the fastest recovery ever. But when you're actually going through it and an injury that bad coming back from, it's like, no, I'll get back when my knee's 110%. And how long did that take? When, by your estimation, would you have been ready to go? What's the earliest date you could have signed up for a fight? I was, I had full mobility around, or not full, but I was getting pretty good at around six months. And by nine months, it was comfortable enough where I could get back to grappling. So after that, after being off that long, you need more time. So honestly, about now. So when I had the time I was able to full tri- full, uh, fully train, full bore, to now, it, I, I basically as early as I could. And what was the recovery like? You know, what kind of things did you do that you hadn't done before this in order to rehab? So the way that I train every day, go down, you work, like that that's my job. Physical therapy became my job. That was my training every single day, five days a week. So it's just really devoting yourself to that and coming back. It, it's like a different kind of fight camp almost. You talked about that in the documentary about how we're working out, going to the gym, that's your job. You know, a lot of people look at fight night as the job, but that's one very small part of the job. Do you feel like people overlook yeah. that when it comes to fighters in general? Uh, absolutely. You see fight night and you don't see everything that leads up to it. That is just the fruits for labor. That's the fun part. Every, I mean, what we do is fun, but everything leading up to that is like, it, it's a full-time job to train and be ready for a fight. It's full-time athlete. It's just, that is just the smallest, most finite part of what we do. It's just the one where it's visible. One thing I learned was the day after the Jermaine Durandame fight, you were already back in the gym. Uh, why was that important to you? So, I mean, everything that you do is geared towards that one moment, and you either win or you come out of it with a loss. You learn. For me, that's just getting back on track. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. It's in the past. Let's move forward. So just get back to what you need to do. Did you feel that there was no recovery time needed between, uh, I guess, the fight and that first day back at training? I needed recovery time on that one just because I had been in camp basically all year at that point. That was a because I had fights back to back to back. I think I had one canceled. So it was like a five or six months basically hardcore training camp. So after that, yes, there was a little bit of recovery before coming back and taking another fight. But at that point, you just need to get back in and work on things. One other thing that I learned, again, from watching this documentary was that your injury was kind of a fluke. Your coach asked you to do an extra round, and with one minute left in that extra round, I don't know what happened. Did you hear a pop, or, or how did you realize that there had been some sort of injury? And obviously, you can have an ACL, MCL tear and still walk on it and, and not realize that things are that wrong, but once you get that ultrasound or that MRI, that will tell the full story. Oh, yeah. So I, I knew something. It was my last minute, my last round. It was the last hard training session before my fight against what was supposed to be Sarah McMahon. And my foot, I, I was stopping a takedown up against the cage. And I was kind of like splayed out, just preventing it. And my foot got caught in the mat and my body twisted down. So my foot, my leg stayed there. And it just, it twisted everything without being able to move. And I was looking at it when it happened. I heard it pop. I don't think it was, as, I mean, it hurt really bad. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. But I didn't think it was as bad as it was. Because most of the fans on the inside is like, oh, I probably ripped my MCL. I could function without that and still fight. Like, my weight was good. I was like, okay, we're just going to take the fight anyway. It wasn't until a week later when I went in to get a cortisone shot that I realized and they found out how bad it was. Yeah, that's uh, obviously a tough situation. But uh, you've been able to take some time off and kind of reflect on your career. What have you learned about yourself during this time away? that I really, really, really love what I do even more than I already did, and I cannot wait to get back. And I'm finally there, so it's just exciting. I'm very excited to be back. I think one of the great things about the division you're in is that a lot of people, they step away for a year or two, and they can be totally forgotten. But in your division, there has not been a lot of movement at the top of this division. You're still in the top of this division. Are you grateful for that, that you're kind of just hitting the resume button now that you're coming back? Pretty much. It's like... I don't know, when somebody gets hurt, I mean, if you're gone for probably three or four years, it's different, but it doesn't take you out of play. It just removes you for a little while. It's not like you just suffered a catastrophic loss or a series of them. It's like, no, you're just on hold. It doesn't 
uh, take you out of play or prevent where you're going or anything that you've done. It's just, it's, I don't know, you're on pause. And I guess one person that was able to resume this past weekend was Misha Tate. Uh, were you inspired by her performance, her ability to come back four and a half years and still look that sharp? That was a rough one. So Marion's a good friend of mine. It's like, I wasn't watching it for anything other than watching her fight. So she's somebody that when she left, she was in her prime and she still is. She's young. She's young in the sport and she's got a lot of potential still. So we'll see where that goes. We'll see if they end up making that fight between us eventually. I don't know. So you were invested emotionally, but on the other side. Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, I think that uh, Marion kind of summed it up at the end where it was great for her last fight to be against the former champion to test where she's at at this point in time. And uh, I think she's walking away at the right time. I think she still is a fantastic athlete and could have probably done a couple more. But uh, I think that uh, she's at peace with her decision. No, I agree. Now, in terms of the division, do you think that you're one win away or two wins away from a title shot, or are you not looking that far ahead? I know typically you like to just look at what's in front of you and not think too far ahead. Everybody asks that. So, no, when I have a fight, that is like, that's the end of the world. That is doomsday. That is, there's nothing beyond it. So, after we're beyond this fight, then I think about other things. But until that point, no. I'm not thinking anywhere besides what I have to do Friday night or Saturday night now. So tell me about Macy. I think she's a fantastic prospect. She's an Ultimate Fighter winner. I know you were excited to face Juliana Pena because she was an Ultimate Fighter winner. And now you're testing yourself against uh, someone who won, I guess, a weight class up but has since then been at 135 pounds. Tell me a little bit about Macy and what her strengths are and how you think you can offset those. Macy's a very well fighter, willing to engage He's a good striker. She's engaged in the clinch and she's going to grapple. So it's not just somebody that wants only one thing. This fight can definitely be a grind. And that's the kind of thing that I enjoy. I like somebody that's going to engage. So, and obviously she's a big, strong girl. She fought at 45. It would have been awesome if we, you know, we could do this at 45. You know, nobody cuts water. It'd be wonderful. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just an exciting fight. She's got a lot of talent and I'm happy to come back against her. Do you wish that there were more athletes in the 145-pound division? Because you could probably fight in two divisions if you wanted to and, uh, and multitask like Amanda Nunes does. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to fight in both because a 45 fight wouldn't be much effort. I wouldn't have to cut water. So I could do that on a week notice. But a 35 fight, that takes months of preparation to do it properly and actually get down there in a healthy way. So it would be nice and it would give me the ability to fight a, a lot, a faster turnaround kind of thing. But also, all the 35ers, we took out the water cut with the exception of a couple little ones. If we're not cutting water, we're naturally 45s. So if you did something about the water cut, then it changes the vision. I'm not going to bother you about your weight cut for this interview because I know you don't like that. And I know you don't like talking about it. And if you were having trouble cutting weight, you wouldn't tell me anyways. No, straight up, this is the best that I've ever come in and the best I've ever felt. Like, I'm doing fantastic right now. It doesn't even feel like fight week. There's no suffering going on. Well, for the record, I didn't ask you about it. You volunteered that information. But I'm just letting you know, I, I have no interest in talking to you about your weight cut because people bother any fighter about that. Uh, and I think that that's unfair because during fight week, again, you're not going to tell me if it's a bad weight cut. And I don't think it's our business. I think that's the experience right there. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the scale will tell the tale on Friday, and that's, that's the way it should be with any fighter uh, during fight week. Uh, really looking forward to seeing you come back to the cage. It's been a long time. You're going to be fighting at the UFC Apex. It's uh, going to have limited fans, from what I understand. What are you looking forward to for, for that uh, experience? See, I've been out the entire COVID era, so I've never experienced the lack of fans. Or Honestly, I haven't fought somewhere as small as the Apex since I was an amateur, so it'll be a little interesting, but I usually don't notice the crowd of the fans regardless of where I am. So I doubt that I'll notice there, but just thinking about it now, like, okay, I that's, it's a little different. Yeah, some fighters like it more. They, they like having less distractions. Do you feel like it doesn't matter if you're able to block out the crowd anyways, it probably doesn't make a big difference. I don't think it particularly matters. No. I mean, I certainly like fight week. It's very nice. The little, I mean, we're, we're stuck in the hotel, but that doesn't bother me and everything's very, uh, 
everything's provided. You're not having to do too much. Like, it's nice. Do you have a favorite fight of yours? Oh, geez. There's a few of them. Probably in my pro career, it has to be the fight with Tanya Evinger just because uh, my, my grandpa, my grandma, and my brothers were all there. And it was, that was honor versus Khabib card. It was just a huge weekend and good memories with family. All right. Well, hopefully you can continue the momentum of that last fight, that third round. Your coach, Jim West, really uh, got into your ear in between rounds, and uh, it seemed to work. <laughs> Do you think that that's only going to be helpful in specific situations? I think he obviously knows how to read you because you've been with one camp for your entire MMA career. Yes. I think one of the, the uh, key parts of my success is the fact that I have been with the same camp my entire career. And we all understand each other very, very well and know what the other one needs at a certain time. So I don't think I'd do that well now anywhere else. All right, Aspen. Well, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Best of luck this weekend against Macy Chase on in your return to the cage. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you. I appreciate the time of all of our guests this past week. TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sandhagen, Macy Barber, and Aspen Ladd. And I appreciate you for tuning into the show, and I would extra appreciate you. If you, you know, you know what I'm going to say. Subscribe to the show. Review the show. Leave a five-star rating on iTunes. It goes a long way for us. We always appreciate your support. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, the regular standard edition of the TSMMA show with myself and Bazooka Joe Valtellini is up on this speed. If you have not yet listened to it, I uh, would recommend that you do. And uh, also, my TSN Edge picks have been on fire lately. The last two weeks, we've gone, uh, basically, I guess if you want to count the darts, we're 6-2 six, six and two for the last two events. Um, but if you don't count the darts, darts are my long shot picks. Uh, if you don't count my darts, then uh, we are 5-0 and oh the last two weeks in our picks. So uh, you're going to want to tune in because uh, the picks have been great. And you know what? Why don't I give you the picks here? I, I haven't done this on the TSN MMA Show interview edition, but I've already recorded my picks. So if you're listening, I will reward you as a listener by giving you my picks. I, hey, I can't really say if I'm rewarding you or not, but... Uh, because we, we don't know how these fights are going to play out. But hear me out. I like the over two and a half rounds. Dillashaw and Sanhagen. It was at even money when I recorded. Derek Minner by submission at plus 400 was one of my picks as well. Uh, parlay with uh, Ian Heinish and Sajara Eubanks. And uh, Hannah Goldie to uh, defeat Diana Belbita. And uh, the dart of the week is Kyler Phillips by submission at plus 800. So there you have it. Hope... Uh, as my, uh, my friend uh, Gabriel Morenzi used to say, may the winners be yours. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.